Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, who is back home in Northeast Ohio after traveling with the Cavs to D.C. after their big win, or, or excuse me, before their big win um, the other night against the Wizards. Um, and Chris, you know, I, without, I don't mean to get into it too quickly, mm-hmm. um, but I thought, you know, just the way that they played the last couple of games and, and things are kind of changing with this team. I don't know if you see it. Maybe I'm just, you know, seeing it from a different lens, but you look at the box scores every night and it's not so much Donovan Mitchell just dominating anymore. He's kind of actually struggled. Other guys are starting to step up and, you know, this thing is starting to change a little bit for the Cavaliers, at least in my estimation. Well, I think there are a couple of things, Aiden. I think, first off, um, all the players talked about it last night following the win against the Wizards. And J.B. Bickerstaff talked about it as well. Um, the loss against the Miami Heat, that was a game that the Cavs wanted. That's a game that the Cavs were looking to make a point. Um, they were at home. They were playing against a playoff team. Um, and, and they thought they were ready for that level of matchup. And then at the end of the game, um, they didn't perform well in the final couple of minutes. Their offense went stagnant and Miami made a few more plays than the Cavs, but that's a game that the Cavs felt like they should have won. Um, following that game, JB didn't like some of the questions that were asked to him. He didn't like some of the tone of the questions, including the question that I asked him. Um, about their record in close games um, and why they continue to struggle in late-game situations. So following that game, he huddled the group together, and they had that, I don't want to call it a team meeting because that's not right, but like a state of where the team was at type conversation. And that's the day that he told them, hey, block out the negativity. Um, There's a lot of noise around us right now. But let's focus on the positives. Let's look at the fact that we're one of seven teams that has won 30 games. Let's look at the fact that we're a young team that's still trying to figure things out, haven't had our full lineup, but for a handful of games. Um, And let's focus on those kinds of things uh, that we have already accomplished. And for a young, growing team to be where we are, it's a really, really good place. And we're probably ahead of where a lot of people thought we would be at this point. We're probably ahead of where we thought we would be. So since that loss to Miami and since that conversation um, between them and J.B. Bickerstaff, uh, the Cavs have talked about having a different level of focus. They've talked about having a different level of intensity. And I know a lot of people are going to point to what happened in the Memphis Grizzlies game where Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks got into it and Donovan's teammates had his back and it was... Um, something that they could rally around. And it was a moment that galvanized the group. But everybody that I have talked to in the organization, players, coaches, executives, they say that Miami loss um, at home really changed things for them. And it brought things into a clearer perspective. So that's part of what has happened. Um, I do think you notice a different level of focus intensity. Um, I think you do notice just a, a, a different spirit around the team over the last three games. Um, But there are two other layers to this as well. Um, They have set a rotation of eight to nine guys, and Kevin Love is not part of it. And Kevin Love was in the midst of the worst season of his career, 
And there were a lot of numbers pointing to them being a much better team with him off the court as opposed to on the court. So giving those minutes that Kevin was getting and not really performing all that well with, giving those to Dean Wade, I think has helped. Um, Ricky Rubio being closer to the guy that we saw at the beginning of the season last year, although he's probably not going to get to that level for the remainder of this year, but getting close to that kind of guy and running the team and dishing the ball um, and organizing the offense. I think that's part of this as well. And the Cavs knew once they got out of January, which was incredibly grueling, and it wasn't excuse-making, it was an incredibly grueling month of January for the Cavs. They knew once they exited January, things were going to lighten up a little bit um, when it came to the number of road games, when it came to the caliber of opponent that they were going to be facing, when it came to um, a bunch of different factors. And I think that has contributed to what we're seeing now with this three-game winning streak as well. You mentioned Kevin Love. Um, You know, it kind of all started going downhill with the thumb. Is this something where he could get back into the rotation or is this something where they're just going to kind of keep it um, the way it is, you know, going forward? I would be surprised if if he got back in the rotation when this team is the way that they are right now, which is pretty close to full strength. Um, There just isn't a place for him. And I think part of it is they want to see Dean Wade and see what he can provide. Um, Part of it is Dean Wade has performed better than Kevin. And part of it is J.B. Bakerstaff prefers a tight eight or nine man rotation, Hayden. So if you think about it, we know the starting five for this group. It's going to stay the same. It's Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. Until J.B. feels like there's a reason to change that starting lineup, until he feels like Isaac Okoro's not giving him in that starting group what he wants from Isaac, that's going to be it. And then you talk about the bench, as long as Karis LeVert is here and not traded, he's going to be a fixture of the rotation. Uh, Dean Wade is as well, and Ricky Rubio is. So there's your eight. And then the ninth guy is probably going to be between Jetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, based on what the Cavs need from um, that particular spot on, on a given night in a certain matchup. And I just think at the way the way that Kevin was playing um, following the thumb issue, I, I don't think there was any way that JB could honestly look at the team um, and say, I'm going to keep rolling Kevin Love out there over Dean Wade. Or I'm going to keep rolling Kevin Love out there over Jetty Osman. Like, if Dean gets hurt, right? If Jetty gets hurt, if something happens to one of the mainstays in the rotation, then I think that cracks the door open for Kevin as well. Um, for for him to 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 get another shot and, and maybe show that he can be more effective and, and maybe show that he's further removed from the thumb injury. But right now, there's just no way, based on the way that Kevin was playing, there's just no way that JB can justify using him over the other guys. Right. It makes sense. It does. Um, you mentioned trades and, and, you know, we are a couple of days away from the trade deadline. Now it's on Thursday. Um, the Cavaliers have been, you know, very long rumored to kind of be active in this trade market, but the closer we get, you know, it doesn't seem like there's all that much um, chatter. I mean, yes, Karis Levert, 
like is a name to think about, but it doesn't seem like the return on event or like, you know, the return on, on what they're going to give away is going to be what they want. So what are you hearing ahead of the trade deadline? And, and is this Cavs team going to stay pat as it goes forward? So to your point about there hasn't been a lot of chatter around the Cavs. Part of that is by design, right? They are a team that likes to operate under the radar. They are very, very guarded with everything that they do in this organization. And the information that that we get, the collective we get when it comes to the Cavs, is very, very difficult to get, which is one of the reasons why it pisses me off so much when people just don't attribute things properly. Because this information is not easy to get when it comes to covering this team. They're, they're, they're very, very cognizant of trying to um, stay below the radar and make these stealthy moves and not reveal whatever plan it is that they have. So that's part of it. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why you don't hear as much about the Cavs as you do like the Lakers or the Jazz or Brooklyn Nets or some of these other teams. It's just the way that the Cavs like to operate. Um, beyond that, I mean... Like, there is a reality of what they can do at this year's trade deadline. The The biggest move that they've made is Donovan Mitchell, and there's nothing that they're going to do that's going to top that. And because they already made that move, they just don't have a lot of appealing assets to try and go out and, and find what would be a needle mover at the trade deadline. Um. And it doesn't mean that the Cavs aren't going to do something. And it doesn't mean that they can't find somebody who can, quote unquote, help. But if we're talking about like them taking the next step as an organization and closing the gap on the other teams in the Eastern Conference, like Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia, and I don't think we need to put Brooklyn in there anymore because their ceiling has changed completely by trading away Kyrie Irving. But if they're trying to make up ground on those kinds of teams, it's unlikely that there is some trade out there that is going to allow them to do that. So maybe it's a smaller move around the margins, and then there's some internal growth that happens within the team over the final couple of months of the regular season. But, you know, a big reason why you don't hear a ton about them at the deadline is because, like, they're not in the OG Ananobi sweepstakes. You know what I mean? Like, they're not in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, if there are any. Like, they're not in the Chris Paul sweepstakes, if there are any. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're looking um, smaller scale just because of what they can realistically trade at the deadline. Like, a lot of these teams that are looking for a bigger, impactful move, what's being linked? Future first-round picks. The Cavs don't have those. They can't offer those. Right. By rule, they cannot deal a future first-round pick at this year's trade deadline. So it's what do they get with eight second-rounders? What do they get with eight second-rounders plus Harris LeVert, who is on a valuable expiring contract, in and out of the rotation, Jetty Osman, and salary filler, including Dylan Windler? That doesn't get you like the big names on this market. And I think that's part of the issue that the Cavs could potentially run into here, Aiden, is that they don't have the assets to get the market's most appealing players. And the ones that are actually in their price range that are most realistic for them, they are flawed and they aren't guaranteed to 
not only become the fifth starter, but they're not guaranteed to be locks as part of the nightly rotation off the bench because the top eight in this rotation is pretty set. And it's going to take somebody, like if they're going to go out and they're going to get a quote-unquote two-way wing who can shoot, the way that the Cavs are looking at it is that guy either has to be better, just better overall, or a better fit than Karis LeVert, or that guy has to be better than what we can run out there in terms of the minutes that Dean Wade can give us and Jetty Osman and Lamar Stevens. Like the combination of those three guys, like whoever it is that they're giving up an asset or two to get, the new guy coming in has to unseat what's already here. And some of the names that they're being linked to right now, there's no guarantee that those guys will. If you had to guess right now, I mean, just just flat out. If you had to guess right now, would they are they going to make a move before Thursday? I don't think so. The other vibe that people around the NBA have with the Cavs a couple of days before the deadline, Hayden, is that they don't love this trade market. Yeah. They're not excited about the realistic options available to them. Um, so I I think they're going to end up in a situation where they say. There isn't anybody that's worth us getting and giving up what we would have to give up in order to get this guy. There isn't anybody that we can bring here that would give us more consistent production than what we can get from Karis LeVert. I think yeah. that's the way that they're going to look at it. They're going to say Karis LeVert is a better option for us and a better player overall than Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott, Josh Hart, some of these other players that that the Cavs have had conversations about both internally and externally, um, I think that's the way that they're going to look at it at the end of this. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, that being, you know, with that being said, you know, if the Cavaliers stay, um, if the Cavaliers stay right where they are. You know, if they stay right where they're at, they kind of stand pat. Even if they make a small, you know, small move at the deadline, whatever, something that's not necessarily going to impact the night in, night out basis. I mean, um, how can they get better? Like, because I, is it just, you know, I, is it just something with the, that goes with experience? Is it just something that goes with, you know, getting it under their belt? I mean, they're not, they're good. They're obviously a good team. They're the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're five games out of first place. Um, they're two games behind the 76ers. I mean, 34 and 22, they're a good team. But, you know, is it just something where as they continue to play together and continue to gel, they're just going to get better? Because you talk about getting better. Well, that usually means adding a player, adding a piece or or whatnot. But if they're going to stand pat, is it simply just continuing to get to know each other? Is is that what it's going to take for them to be a better basketball team? Well, that's the thing. I mean, like based on some of the things that they've dealt with in the first half of the season, even beyond the first half of the season. Right. Like there is a window where you can honestly look and say the Cavs can get better by the end of the season without making a move. And it's like not every team has that same kind of setup. Right. But Evan Mobley, you can see the growth in Mobley. It's happening before our eyes. So you would like to think that he's going to continue to get better as this season goes on and he's going to get more experience and he's going to get more game reps and he's going to get more knowledge of the NBA and and what it takes in these kinds of pressure packed moments, what it takes in these kinds of meaningful games. 
um, the team itself. Like, they're going to be better because of the lessons that they learned in the first half of the season. And it didn't always go well for them, especially in late-game situations, especially on the road. But they're, you would think that they're going to be better from that because sometimes you learn through failure and sometimes you learn through success and sometimes you learn through hardship and sometimes you learn through adversity. Um, the other thing is, like, what they thought was going to be close to their eight-man rotation, what they thought was going to be close to their starting lineup, like, that hasn't been available to them very much. Yeah. The lineup that they've used the most so far this year only has around 200 minutes together in terms of a five-man grouping. It's not a ton. So they're going to get better. They're going to get to understand each other in a better way. And Isaac Okoro has gotten better. Look at what he's doing so far in the last three games as the calendar has flipped to February. Uh, Darius and Donovan, I think they're going to learn each other better. Um, the Cavs continuing to be put in these late game situations. They're going to know what works, what doesn't work. Like all those different things they have had to learn on the fly. Um, and I think those kinds of things can help them in the second half of the season. So I do think if they stay healthy, if they keep their most important pieces in the lineup, I think this is a team that can go on a pretty substantial run in the second half of the season and see if it can start climbing up the Eastern Conference standings a little bit. And beyond everything else, Hayden, they've got the second easiest schedule the rest of the way. Yeah, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. And you mentioned the injuries and you mentioned things, you know, Donovan Mitchell over the last couple, you know, weeks after kind of dealing with the groin issue has had, has definitely fallen off in terms of production a little bit. Um, do you think that that's, it, it's about the groin, it's about the injuries or kind of maybe a middle, you know, he played so well, maybe a regression to the mean, or, you know, is this something that just is, this happens and and he's going to pick it right back up? He doesn't look right. And yeah. The other night, following a game against the Indiana Pacers, we're in the locker room, and I say to Donovan, um, and he was in front of a camera at this point, so his answer is probably going to be different in front of a camera. Um, I say to Donovan, I said, how are you feeling physically right now? And he said, great. And as soon as the camera left, he winked at me, and he patted me on the butt. So I think that tells you all you need to know. Um, he has had a heavy burden on him for a majority of his career. Right. And at times this year, it's been a heavy burden as well because of all the things that the Cavs were working through because of all the injuries that they're dealing with. And groin issue is tough for somebody like him because it's about explosiveness. It's about change of direction. It's about speed off the dribble. It's about change of pace. And think about how many different times he spins into the lane, right? Or he stops on a dime and dribbles it between his legs for that step-back three-pointer. Like all those different things, you're going to feel those maneuvers when you're dealing with a groin injury or a hamstring injury or something like that. So I think you just have to look at his shot chart right now, Hayden. Since coming back from that groin issue, he's not attacking the paint as ferociously as what he did. And yeah. Some of it is the defense is making adjustments and they're loading up to try and stop him and keep him out of the paint. And some of these defenders that he's playing against are being really, really physical against both him and Darius Garland. 
So that's always built in. There's natural adjustments that that opponents are going to make once a guy does something in the first 40 plus games of the regular season. Um, but I do think his shot chart shows a guy who isn't getting to the paint as frequently, isn't getting to the free throw line as frequently, doesn't have that same explosiveness, that same burst, and is settling more for outside shots um, because it's just easier for him in this current state um, to get those kinds of looks than the ones that that he would fight for um, when he was 100% healthy and not dealing with a groin issue. Yeah, I mean, over his last 10, he's averaging, he's played in six games, averaging 30, 30 minutes, 37%, 37.9% from the field, 32% from three-point range. You know, comparatively for the year, he's at 47% from the field, 38.6% yeah. from three-point range. So it's definitely, and he's only averaging 16 points as opposed to the 26 that he's averaging for the regular season. So definitely, I can totally see where it would be um, the groin issue. And, you know, I think it's something that will just, honestly, if he wants to keep playing, it's going to have to... I mean, do you think it's something that they would sit him down and be like, hey, just get this thing He right? does not want to sit. Yeah, exactly. That's what I Everything was that yeah. I have heard is that he does not want to sit and he wants to play. And I asked J.B. Bickerstaff last night before the game against the Wizards, I said, hey, look, this is a back-to-back. Donovan just recently came back from a groin issue. He doesn't look like the same guy. You talked the other day about him, you know, dealing with something at this point in time. Was there any kind of conversation about sitting Donovan on the second game of a back-to-back. And he said, me and Donovan have had conversations about how to map this out to get through the all-star break and even a little bit after that. And JB said, like, where are you physically? What kind of state are you in right now? And um, JB said there was no conversation. Donovan never even considered sitting out uh, the game against Washington. Now, is there a chance that he doesn't play tomorrow against the Pistons? I can see it. Is there a chance that he doesn't play against the Spurs? Another um, game on the schedule that's coming up. I could see that as well. Um, Because, you know, some of the circumstances of the schedule and the opponents and which ones are, quote unquote, more meaningful and which ones taking those off will provide more rest and stuff like that. Um, So I wouldn't rule out that possibility, the Detroit and San Antonio game, maybe even the Chicago game at home coming off the New Orleans road game. But everything that I've heard is that Donovan wants to be out there and he wants to play. And he's not the kind of guy that likes to miss games. I'm assuming he's going to want to play in Salt Lake. I mean, you know, to be in front of the fans. Oh, yeah. The All-Star game, you know. And look, I mean, like, I don't know this because I didn't ask him specifically about this, Donovan. but. Um, Washington, D.C. is Donovan's third home. Salt Lake City and Cleveland, and then Washington, D.C., because his sister is a lacrosse player at American University. So she was there last night watching him play. His mom was there last night watching him play. And I think he just, like, this is the only visit that the Cavs were making to Washington, D.C., and I think there was a human element attached to the fact that he wanted to play last night's game, even though it was on a back-to-back, um, even though it was the second game on the road, even though like he may not be 100% physically where he wants to be. Like The element of that game being in Washington, D.C., uh, I think played into him wanting to play last night. Yeah, that's fair. Um 
I, I want to we we got all the with the uh the the housekeeping items out of the way talking about this team, but I think there's some fun stuff to get into for sure. Um, especially and we we mentioned it a little bit, the, but the Memphis game, and I, I think I said something like, you know, we're <laughs> going to look at the look back on this game, uh, you know, being a being a turning point. But you, and you mentioned the Heat game for sure. That, meant, but I think the way that JB, I think the way that the team, um, I think the thing that JB said just really struck me, like really really struck me about. You know, we're a team that's not going to start it, but damn, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to run away from it. And I think that's yeah. the perfect attitude for this young team to have. And I think that they kind of can rally, like not that they need to necessarily like rally around it and change their season. But I think if that's the attitude they can adopt, I think if that's the mantra that they can kind of go into every game with and every se- every series with, I think it can kind of follow them and, and can kind of um, – describe them and can kind of be something that represents who they are um as donovan said you know there are as darius said they're a group of nice young men but you know but that doesn't mean that they're afraid from a fight yeah and i think if you think about what fueled them throughout the course of last year when they went 44 and 38 and they made it to the play-in tournament they adopted this underdog mentality right they became what they called the junkyard dogs And a big part of that was Lamar Stevens, and he was the one that started that, and he was the one who was barking, and he was the one who was the true underdog because he was the undrafted guy who wasn't supposed to be in the NBA, and suddenly he was starting games for a team that had playoff aspirations. Um, But there was, like, a bleep-you mentality that the Cavs had. Like, okay, you want to overlook us? Okay, bleep-you. We're going to show you, right? We belong with some of these other teams in the Eastern Conference. And it turned out by the end of the year, because of a variety of reasons, including injuries, that they didn't belong with the other teams in the Eastern Conference because they got knocked out in the play-in tournament by both Brooklyn and Atlanta. But that kind of mentality, I just didn't feel it at the beginning of the season from the Cavs. I think they were more caught up in the expectations. I think they were more caught up in their own success at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I think they were trying to adapt to being in a role of the hunted as opposed to the hunter. Um, And I think it took them some time to like shift back into their old identity of, all right, you want to mess with us? You want to get physical with us? You want to talk about, we haven't arrived, whatever the case may be. Like we're going to show you, we're going to stand up for ourselves. And I think there were people inside the organization, Hayden, including JB Bickerstaff, that we're wondering, like, at what point is enough going to be enough for this group? Like, there were teams that were pushing them around. There were teams that were being super physical with Darius. Like, how many times do you get hit in the face? A lot right? of times. And I think there was some feeling inside the organization of, like, is somebody going to do something about this? Is somebody going to prevent this? Is somebody going to stand up to these bullies? And Donovan Mitchell said it the other night. I took matters into my own hand. I had enough. Like part of it was he had enough of Dylan Brooks and he had that kind of um, that kind of history with Dylan and that kind of history with the Grizzlies. But like to see Evan Mobley get in there, to see Jared Allen and Darius Garland and some of those other guys get in there too. I think that was a really, really important moment. Um, and, and I think since then, um, you've seen a different level of fire from this group. And I think that's how they're going to have to continue to operate um, as they close this regular season. 
with that kind of bleep you mentality, we're not going to back down from anybody. It's you're exactly it's it kind of I mean, I know that Donovan said he had enough, but I think anybody would have had enough in that moment. I mean, that's that was as that was as egregious and as, you know, obvious as it gets. I mean, that's that's, you know, for lack of every replay that you saw, you could you could notice that Dylan Brooks looked behind him to see where Donovan Mitchell was first and decided to hit him in the crotch. Yeah. But like I said, it could have sparked a moment. It could have sparked a movement, which is, you know. I mean, it was a national tele- nationally televised game. You know, the the Grizzlies are trying to bully people this year, and the Cavs said enough. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of you know paints them as okay. We're the we may be the underdog, but we're not going to get pushed around. So, um, I mean, there there was there were people around the NBA that started to use the term "soft" with the Cavs, and I don't know for a fact that the Cavs heard that. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But they were gaining a reputation of being a little bit too flashy and a little bit too soft, which was surprising given what they were last year and given the fact that they're number one defense in the NBA. Like, you don't become that if you're soft, but that was their reputation. And I think when that moment happened, people around the NBA took notice and was like, whoa, okay, maybe they aren't the team that we thought they were going to. Maybe there is something inside them that burns a little bit deeper that when we start to mess with them or we start to talk trash to them, they're going to swing back, not literally swing back, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I would have never called them soft because you're right. You can't be a D you can't be the best team defensively in the NBA and be soft. I think tough to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah but, but I can see where they weren't like, well, you know what? I'll give it like the Darius Garland treatment. Like they're nice, they're nice guys. <laughs> like, that's that's how I would have described them. They're like a nice group of nice young men. Well, you're right. Like I wouldn't call that soft, but I would say that's exactly how they kind of played, like a group of nice young men. And that can be kind of taken mistaken for a weakness, which I don't think that right. they have. Right. So and that and that was the big message from Darius, from Donovan, from JB. Like, don't take the fact that. We are nice. We are smiling. We do like to have fun because they like to have fun, right? They like to keep the vibes loose, light, positive, as Darius called them in training camp, immaculate. They blast music in the locker room after wins. They engage in water balloon fights during road trips. They don't take themselves too seriously. Um, So, like, those kinds of things that they do can come across as... Like, hey, this is a cheery, youthful team that's mild-mannered and unassuming and all those different things. Um, But as JB said, like, don't take that for us being weak or us, you know, running from these situations that we're going to be in um, when we play against these physical opponents, when we play against um, these teams that, that want to prove something against us for one reason or another. As you mentioned, Chris, uh, the Cavaliers are currently going to play the Detroit Pistons in their next (laughs) matchup. They are currently the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. So the All-Star weekend is coming up next weekend, not this weekend. Um, So there will be a little bit of a a minor lull for at least one weekend. Um, And then the quote-unquote second half of the season, which is not really the second half of the season at all because there's 56 games already that that have been played. 
you know, at the ha- we can we can call it kind of the halfway mark. I mean, where where are they at? Like like you said, you know, JB said they're better than they thought they'd be. That's kind of what I would say. I'd say they're better than we thought they'd be, and they're better than um, maybe even we expected them to be at this point. I think they've done a good job with everything given, and and they're going to continue to learn and grow. I think Hayden, they're exactly where they should be. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, and I wrote a huge column about this as well, that everything with a young team, and they still are a young team in terms of experience, everything requires perspective. The Cavs recently did a study going back to 2011, and I wrote this in a piece. Um, 2011, going all the way back to... Um, the two finals teams, both in the East and the West. And the study showed that the average age of players on those rosters, 28 years old and about eight years of experience. With this Cavs team, only five guys fit that profile. And, and one? Is it one? It's only one. No, two. And only two are in the every night rotation. Karis LeVert and Ricky Rubio. Other than that, like, yeah, Robin Lopez has been there. He's seen a lot throughout the course of his career. Howell Neto, same thing. Kevin Love, obviously a champion. Knows what it takes. Knows what it looks like. But three of those guys who fit that profile with this group, they're not even playing big minutes. They're not even key contributors for this team. So when you have a young team, you have to give them some room, even with Donovan Mitchell, even after the trade for Donovan Mitchell and everything that they gave up in order to get him. You have to give a young team room to make some mistakes. You have to give a young team room to fail. You have to give a young coach like J.B. Bickerstaff room to figure things out as he goes. He's going to make mistakes and the players are going to make mistakes. But you can't lose perspective on what this team is, who they are. And we talked about this on the last podcast. They aren't Milwaukee. They aren't Philly. They aren't Miami. They aren't the Boston Celtics. Their clock is not ticking as fast as those teams. Like there is a runway for the Cavs to become better than those teams. And they can become better than those teams organically with more reps with more experience. So yeah, there's been inconsistency. Uh, Yeah, they've struggled on the road. Yeah, they've struggled to close out games. J.B. Bickerstaff hasn't been perfect when it comes to finding the right lineups and the right combinations. But like, to me, everything that they have gone through this year is normal. Brooklyn has gone through it. Memphis has gone through it. There isn't a team in the NBA that hasn't gone through some of the same things that the Cavs have gone through. And for them to be here where they are, despite everything that they've dealt with, um, 34 and 22, fourth in the Eastern Conference, like, did anybody think coming into this year that they were going to be better than Philadelphia or they belonged on a different tier than Philadelphia or even the same tier as Philadelphia? No. And you could say the same thing about Boston and Milwaukee. So they are. 
like Brooklyn was a complete wild card coming into this year because you knew that they could potentially implode and maybe the Kyrie decision to request a trade has led to that. But coming into this year, I didn't say, and I don't think there were too many people that said, yeah, the Cavs are on the same tier with Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and Brooklyn. I think everybody, including myself, said they are a tier below those teams because they haven't accomplished as much as those teams, because they don't have the same level of experience, and because there are things that they need to learn that those other teams have already learned. And I think that's played itself out. Yeah. I, I think exa- I think you're exactly right. You know, I think patience is the sometimes the hardest thing for fans and for, you know, people watching the team and all that. But you need it because, like, like you said, this team, there, there's a there's a runway. There's an opportunity for this team that, you know, they're they're on the rise. They're not falling, which is definitely, um, definitely important. And it kind of, you know, yes, you see the overreactions, you know, to, to bad losses and whatnot. And that's kind of, you know, the nature of the beast. But yeah. Uh, but I think that there is there the vibes are as you said immaculate. Maybe not immaculate, but the vibes are very good <laughs> with the Cavaliers team going forward. Yeah, and they have been throughout the course of the season. And like you said, yeah, there are moments. You know this. You've been in locker rooms many, many times. Yeah. When there's a stinging loss, and it's immediately after that loss, guys are going to say things that come across um, a little bit worse than if they were given 45 minutes to an hour or a whole day to try and regroup and gather their thoughts. You know, you say things in the heat of the moment that sometimes maybe goes a little bit too far. Like, I don't think JB loved some of the comments that were coming out of his own locker room after that loss against Miami. Um, I, I obviously don't think that he liked the questions that the guys were being asked, but you know, Jared Allen was talking about taking steps back and Evan Mobley was talking about taking steps back. And and Donovan Mitchell was saying, we've got to figure it out. At some point, we can't be talking about learning and we can't be talking about lessons. And I think those comments also bothered JB a little bit saying like, hey, look, guys, like we're OK here. Like, I get it. You're frustrated. I get it. You wanted this win against Miami. But like, don't lose sight of the big picture here because there is a bigger picture in play with a lot of teams that have playoff aspirations where it doesn't have to be um, life or death in late January or early February when it's one game against whoever the opponent may be. And again, that doesn't mean that when those things happen, you just completely overlook them and you don't criticize the team for the things that they could have done better in the moment. But that should not override Like, what is happening here? And I think JB said it best the other day, that what is happening here with the Cavs, where they are in the Eastern Conference, and what they've accomplished, not accomplished in terms of their end goal, but what they've already accomplished, um, should be celebrated and should be praised. Two national things before we get going. Number one, Kyrie Irving moving again, (laughs) um, going to the Dallas Mavericks. I mean... You, you mentioned, and it does affect the Cavs. You know, Brooklyn is very much in there, um, kind of was around them in the Eastern Conference. And yes. Now, yes. Yeah, so it kind of seems like, you know, that's a team that's going to fall off. I mean, what, ha- like, I mean, Kyrie is Kyrie, and can we can we chalk it up to that? Or, I mean, what is, like, I, it's just like every, it, it just never stops with him. No, it doesn't. I don't think it's going to. Um, at the same time, Like, this is an eight-time All-Star. This is an NBA champion. 
And however you feel about Kyrie, the person, and some of the things that he has done off the court, and whether his style contributes to winning at the highest level, like that's fine. You can have that opinion. There's enough evidence to support that. Um, in saying that, Brooklyn was trying to get him to sign the kind of contract that you do not ask eight-time All-Stars to sign, period. Yeah. He, he, he was, I think, felt a level of disrespect from the Brooklyn Nets when it came to contract negotiations and some of the things that they wanted from him. Like, it would have felt like he was catering to them. And given everything that he's accomplished throughout his career and given the demand that was out there for him, um, as you saw, the Lakers were interested, the Clippers were interested, Phoenix Suns were interested, the Timberwolves, and ultimately he went to to Dallas. So, like, given that he had some leverage with teams still having interest, he felt completely disrespected by some of their contract demands and said, like, I don't need that. Um, I don't like the fit. I don't like the fit in Dallas. I mean, you know, maybe it'll help Luca, but I, I mean, Luca <laughs> seems to be, and, and I know this is kind of going, you know, I just, I, I don't like. What the about fit. the fit? Don't you like? I don't like. I, I don't like bringing a guy like Kyrie and you know all yeah. the off-court stuff, but just everything. Like Luca is on such an amazing trajectory, and uh-huh. it just seems like Kyrie, you know. Has been not, and I know that he would say like you can't disrespect me like that, but he has been. He has just been a a non team guy for a long time, yeah. and like you know, does that mess with Luka Doncic? I I don't know. I don't love the fit with them together. Well, I think having Jason Kidd as the head coach is going to help. Yeah. I think having Luka there is going to help, and Luka signed off on this. Dallas would not have made this move without his approval. Sure. But but Kyrie's the kind of guy where you don't truly understand what you have to deal with on a daily basis until you actually have to deal with it on a daily basis, right? Like from afar, you can say, well, we can deal with the headache. From afar, you can say, well, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. And then you deal with it on a daily basis and you're like, oh my God, is that exhausting? So maybe that's the situation that Dallas is going to run into. But given that he is a free agent at the end of this year, if um, if it doesn't work out, you know, they can pull the ejecto cedo, cuz, and they can say, we're going to go a different direction and we're going to use our cap space to sign somebody else in free agency. Um, so I'm <laughs> I'm intrigued because I think it's going to be like a ridiculous offense to try and defend for opposing teams. Oh. And I also think stylistically... And I'm not saying that Kyrie and Jalen Brunson are exactly the same. I'm not. But there was a missing element to Dallas's offense. They didn't have enough shot creation. They didn't have enough playmaking. They didn't have enough guys to take that burden off of Luka. And, and Jalen Brunson was the guy who did that last year. And it worked with Luka and Brunson. So stylistically... Like, I think there's enough possessions um, in a game, and I think Luka and Kyrie are going to find a way to play off each other at that end of the floor. Defensively is where the questions are going to arise. And maybe, Hayden, it's a situation where they're just going to outscore the crap out of teams and their defense isn't going to matter. Maybe. 
but Luga, Kyrie, and Christian Wood on the same team? Like, teams are going into those matchups against Dallas with a bib on because they're drilling so much. And they just traded away their best perimeter defender in Dorian Finney-Smith. So they could make other moves before this deadline um, is up. But for Dallas, with a ticking clock and, and always thinking about Luka and trying to show him that we're doing everything possible to win, I understand the risk that they were willing to make. Because I think this speaks volumes to somebody like Luka, even if it doesn't work. It shows him that they are, quote unquote, all in and trying to take advantage of his prime years. That's true. Like I said, I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued as well. I just don't know if I like to fit. But again, you, offensively, it will. It, I think you're right that it'll work in that regard. I just think there's some some other uh, things at play. But you're right. They could just character and personality and... conflicts. Yeah, I get that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, again, but like you said, ejecto. What'd you use? Ejecto cedo. Ejecto cedo, cuz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they can do. Uh, we cannot leave this podcast uh, without talking about probably the biggest news in the NBA, potential news in the NBA. LeBron James, thirty-six points yeah. from eclipsing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time record um, uh, scoring record in the NBA, and. Uh, LeBron's going to do it in less games, um, and he is going to have a chance to do it tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, and then he'll have a chance, if he doesn't do it tonight, who do they play next? The Milwaukee Bucks, I believe. Milwaukee Thursday. Yeah, in thir- on Thursday in Los Angeles. So LeBron James, 36 points away. I mean, it, it doesn't ever get exhausting talking about LeBron's greatness and, <laughs> and just his longevity, but it does kind of get difficult because you don't know what more you can say. I mean, just, yeah. you know, and I know that there are Michael Jordan people and that's fine, but I just think LeBron, what LeBron is doing literally at this point has yeah. never been done before. It's never been done before. And yeah. he continues to defy the odds and continues to, you know, just be incredible at, at the age and, and the point in his career. I mean, 20 years in and he's still dominant. And I know so much of the conversation is about passing Kareem for the all-time scoring thing, but but I think it's the fact that running parallel to that is that he just moved in fourth place all-time in the assist league. Right. Like, are you kidding right. me? Like, for, right. for somebody to, to pass at that level, see the game at that level, and still be able to go down as the all-time leading scorer... Like, it just shows that he is Haley's Comet. It just shows that he is one of one. There's a reason why Chosen One has been attached to him and it's tattooed on his body. Because, like, that to me, to be the all-time leading scorer and one of the greatest passers of all time, like, I I don't want to say that usually you have to choose one or the other. But to get to that level of scoring and that level of passing, I don't know. That's incredible to me. And I'm with you. I'm at a point where I'm almost out of words. And every time you think LeBron is about to slow down or he's going to lose a gear or he doesn't have as much lift or he's not going to be as competitive because of the team around him, whatever the case may be, every time you start to think, 
no, it's not going to happen. It's time to start doubting LeBron. He proves you wrong and shows that you can never count him out in any situation. You know, we talked, Tom Brady just retired, and, and you know, it, I don't know about you, but I watched the Bucks enough to, to see that he just was not, this, I don't know. Oh, yeah, he, lost he, it. He lost, lost for sure. And it's, I mean, God bless him. It took him 45 years. If LeBron James <laughs> plays another seven years, if he plays another seven years, yeah, I mean, that point record might be the most unbreakable record in the history of sports. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, he's not just going to barely surpass Kareem. No. He is no. going to shatter that record. And that record had been held since 1984. And there were people in the NBA that were like, I don't know, that one might be untouchable. And for LeBron, like, it's not just, okay, I'm going to get 100 more points or I'm going to get 200 more points. I'm just going to barely pass it based on longevity and based on extending my career for as long as possible. Like, this isn't just somebody, like, playing out the string and just um, adding numbers on top of numbers. Like, this is somebody who remains in the MVP conversation. This is somebody who is starting all-star games. This is somebody who is still at the peak of his career. So thinking about where he is right now, and how much more he still has to do and how much more he can still probably play at this particular level. I don't even want to think about what the all-time scoring record is going to be when he's when he's finally done. He's going to shatter that thing. Yeah, and he's not just chucking up shots either. Like you said, no, he's a passer. He's not. You know, he's, a, he's a passer. He's one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA history. Like, it's just – congratulations. I mean, you know – there's not enough I can say because, like you said, for he got that tattoo chosen, chosen one when he was what 18, and he has surpassed every expectation right. of every single one he's either lived up to or surpassed. Right. He's never yep. been in trouble with the law, he's never had a huge scandal. The worst thing he did was leaving Cleveland, and you know, yeah, not great PR, but I mean, hell, you can't really blame him. And you know, people do it all the time, it's not like it's illegal, it's not like it's something that. Um, you know, tarnished his career. So, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And uh, he, uh, well, I, I, I'm sure the game will stop and I'm sure they'll have, you know, a moment because it, he deserves it for sure. I don't know if that'll be tonight. I don't know if it'll be um, against the Milwaukee Bucks. But yeah, yeah it's, 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 it needs to be recognized in a big, big way. And you see the coverage, right? I mean, no matter oh, yeah. what website you have, there is wall-to-wall -wall LeBron coverage, and he's earned that. And yeah. I think that also speaks to just his brilliance, and I think it, it speaks to what you were saying right there. Despite being in the spotlight since he was a teenager and probably not knowing exactly how to best navigate that, like the white-hot spotlight can be too much for some people. Yeah. And for him to be in that since he was a teenager and then, as you said, live up to and even surpass those expectations, like in the face of scrutiny, in the face of constant criticism, in the face of constant comparisons to Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and some of the, 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 the game's all-time best. Like, that can be too much for somebody. That can break somebody. Um he hasn't allowed it to break him and here he is at his age still playing at this kind of level 
Like there's part of me that wishes the Los Angeles Lakers were a better team. Um, sure. So that Absolutely. like, Goodness yes. gracious. so that while he was playing like this, we got to see him back on that stage, the stage where he has thrived so many different times. Um, but even without like the best teammates, even without the best complementary pieces around him when it comes to roster building, he is still on a nightly basis, like going out and dominating games. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I, I couldn't agree more that I wish that the, the Lakers were better. Um, I, I really do. He deserves that. And I think, you know, I, I, like th- there, have been blueprints, there have been blueprints on how to build a team around LeBron. And, yeah. and for whatever reason, they've been ignored. So let's say this. Let's say hypothetically, um, the Lakers trade Russell Westbrook to the Jazz for some combination of Malik Beasley and Mike Conley. Like those guys aren't all stars by no. any means. No. But like if if <laughs> if you got LeBron to the sixth seed in the West, which yeah, I know it sounds ridiculous because the Lakers have had big time struggles and they are. Um, currently 25 and 29, but the West is so ridiculous that <laughs> they're only three and a half games out of the sixth seed, which is a locked in playoff spot in the Western conference. So let's say the Lakers made that deal and they found a way to get to the sixth seed. I mean, would you discount a LeBron led even with the Lakers flaws? And we have seen the Lakers' flaws. Would you discount a LeBron-led Lakers team in in a first-round playoff series against the Kings or the Grizzlies or one of those teams? Yeah. I know I wouldn't. And I think that also speaks to just how incredible and how one-of-one he is. How many other players, individual players, would you say, despite the flaws of the rest of the roster— if that dude finds a way in the playoffs, like I'm not going to bet against him, even though the team that he's up against in seven game series is clearly better than his team. How many other guys do you say that with? None. Maybe, Zero. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Durant, but I mean that's maybe 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 <laughs> maybe exactly. No, he is he is one of one, and will will forever be one of one. Um, and you know, you mentioned that we have wall to wall coverage, Cleveland.com. We are plenty. We will have plenty of coverage. We've had a lot of stories from a lot of different people. And uh, part of my assignment for the social team tonight is to watch the game and to be ready to potentially post about the breaking news. So yeah, we will have we we will be one of those. Uh, one of those national outlets that covers LeBron because not only does he have the Cavaliers tie, but he is uh, Northeast Ohio's very own. So um, we definitely um, will be on the ball. Um, yep. All right, Chris. Otherwise, um, glad you're home. Glad you're doing well. Spend some time with your family, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Sounds good, brother. All right. I don't know if you'll be watching. Are you going to watch the game tonight? Are you going to be tired? Or, or what's the. Oh okay. God. I mean, you, you're on the road. I don't know. I was thinking maybe get some rest. No, man. Like, this is one of the most incredible feats in NBA history. And it's a guy that I was fortunate enough to cover for a number of years and still, to some degree, um, cover and have a relationship with. So this is not something that I'm going to miss. 
this is something where I'm going to be tuned in. I'm going to be ready to go. Um, anytime I get an opportunity to witness any kind of history, sign me up. Yep, I'm with you right there. I have definitely been lucky for sure as well. Be around him and then to get a sense of that, you know, what he's about. So we'll be watching for sure. And I hope you will too out there. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us. Again, head to cleveland.com slash cast for all of Chris's great coverage. You can sign up for Chris's subtext, which is insight analysis and news sent straight to your phone before Twitter or anywhere else. That's going to be $3.99 a month, a 14-day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you will be directed to Chris's subtext. Again, $3.99 a month, but you get a two-week free trial. Good time to do it with the trade deadline coming up. I always say this, and it's always true. What better time than right now? Because it is always true. What better time than right now to sign up? I mean, there's always something going on in the NBA. There's always something on the horizon. So what better time than right now before Thursday's trade deadline to get that done? Um, all right, everybody, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Again, go to cleveland.com slash cast for all of Chris's uh, great work. And we will talk to you soon. Have a great one.